Welcome and thank you for joining us. Here at Calvary Chapel Eldoret, we believe in impacting and changing people's lives through the Bible, which is the only inspired and infallible Word of God. For more information, be sure to check out our website at ccelderet.org. That is ccelderet.org. And here is today's word. The book of Obadiah, as promised last Thursday and the one before, Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. I would encourage you, name your children something that means something. And I really, guys, like Esau means red. It's like, uh, name your kids something different than red. You know, and I have seen, I'm not saying it's a 100% going to happen, but I have seen more than, than not, when you name some, your kids something that means something, it's actually prophetic. That that very meaning God blesses and it actually becomes the identity in many ways of that person. Um, you know, Layla means night beauty. Now, I wanted to name her a biblical name. Kelsey didn't, all right? Uh, pray for her. She has problems. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, night beauty. She was born at night. And listen, we didn't know if she was going to be beautiful or not. I, if she, you know? She looks like the mom she would be. I get a kiss later, you know that? But Layla is immensely beautiful, very beautiful, ever since she was a little girl. And, and, and you know, who knows? She's going to be beautiful when she gets older. You can just tell. Um, and and we, we, we believe God honored that. Zephaniah or Zephaniah, it means God hides or he protects. Um, there's a couple other meanings, but that's the one I like. That's the one I named him after. God protects and hides under the shadow of his wings. And, and as you look at the name, um, it, it kind of suits Zephaniah's personality. He, he's very fearful at times over many different things. And he has been. Um, and so he's watched his little... A, a sister get drowned and he was in the pool trying to lift her out when she was already dead he's very fearful over certain things he, he he's heard about the robberies he didn't remember it because he was a baby he's very paranoid at night he 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 wants to know if the gate's locked it's like i have two wives he wants to know if the, the doors are locked. He wants to know, you know, if robbers are ever going to come. He has a whole arsenal of weapons in his bedroom. Rungus and knives and throwing knives and throwing stars. Japanese throwing stars. Somebody's going to die if they go in his room. But his name, God protects him. And, 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 and you can see this in his personality a JL, we named her, obviously, after JL in the Bible, Judges 4. It means the power of God. JL is bat nuts crazy. She drowned, God saves her. It's the power of God we see in her life. She, she's always been crazy. When she was a little baby, she somehow, she crawled out of her crib. It was a big, tall crib. 
She has no concern for her own body. She went face first, <laughs> broke her, her collarbone, you know, and, and she's always been this way, very wild, crazy, and the power of God is with her. So often, I just want you to know, I'm going to judge you if you name a, one of your kids just something that sounds cool. To me, that is so dumb. And, 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 and listen, I have friends who do that all the time. It's like, you know, I had a friend, uh, I don't even want to mention a name in case you have a family member that's named this, so I won't. But somebody recently told me that their name is this. And like, that sounds so ridiculous. What's the meaning of the name? Oh, we don't know the meaning. Don't do that. Names are prophetic. Name your kid that means something. Pray over it and pray over that child when you name Obadiah means worshiper of Yahweh. Jeremiah probably had Obadiah's prophecy, uh, or he did have Ob Obadiah's prophecy separate from Obadiah in Jeremiah 49, 7 through 22, concerning Edom or the Edomites. And this is significant because it wasn't like Jeremiah and Obadiah consulted each other. It's like, okay, um, what did you hear from God? Oh, the Edomites are going down. Their pride has lifted them up. God will strike them down. They won't be a people anymore. They will be wiped off the face of the earth. There's no Edomites today. And, um, and so... This was God speaking to these two prophets separately about the same thing, giving the exact same information. This is how God works. God cannot contradict himself, and he never has, and he never will. And that is manifested to us through the Bible. Now, you, bear with me on this. I'm giving an introduction, about 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll, we'll look at Obadiah, so... <clears throat> there is a, um, a, a, a supernatural, I mean, this is a supernatural book. But as you look at it, it's not just like supernatural in some mystical, unknowable, abstract way. Okay, I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was teaching at Calvary Bangor some, some whatever time ago, weeks or months, and... Um, I was talking about how the world is so confusing. They don't know what's moral. They don't know what's true. They, and they fight against truth. They actually are proud of saying no one can really know full truth. Everything's truth. All this relativism and universalism. And it's so confusing. It's so confusing. And it manifests itself and the most ridiculous kinds of art, and the most ridiculous kinds of movies. It's like there's older movies in, in an earlier Hollywood that were kind of like, they had great meaning. I mean, you look at so much of um, uh, old war movies or old westerns, there was a moral high ground that was biblical, and the good guy, the hero, he was fighting for what's right, and, and we wanted him to win. Nowadays, do you ever find yourself rooting for the bad guy because they've glorified the bad guy so much? It's like, I don't know if I want Thanos or Thor to win. I like them both. 
In fact, Thanos has some really good philosophical arguments. Which, by the way, on a side note, this has nothing to do. But if you've not noticed, maybe you guys don't watch those stupid movies anyways. I got hooked on them. It's ridiculous. I should be older than... But the Bill Gates, the, the billionaires of the world, the, the, the Soroses, the... Um, uh, the uh, what's the other guy? Whatever. Um, now it's going to bug me. The, the guy, you, you buy, buy it online. What is it? Bezos. Huh? Bezos. Bezos. Amazon. All these guys, they actually have a deep fundamental belief that they're better than everyone else who's poorer than them. And they are personally responsible to make sure the earth is taken care of. They are the stewards of earth. And they need everybody else's money because they're more sophisticated and smart and brilliant and more caring than the rest of us. And they need the world's population of resources to preserve the earth. One of the issues of this is the world is overpopulated, they say, which is not right. You can fit all eight billion people in the state of Texas. Uh, but in a way, you can see, okay, what they are, are thinking is completely naturalism because they're atheists. They don't believe in a supernatural being. So the earth must last for billions of more years for posterity's sake, for children's sake. For, so they think they're being responsible by enacting certain laws, not just with the United States government, but with world governments for climate control, okay? Follow me on this. And one of the biggest issues on why we can't control the climate is population control. So you get atheist countries that naturally will have laws against the multiplication of children per family, like China. They're atheists in China. They don't believe in a supernatural being. I know there's Buddhists in China, but we're talking about the dominant worldview in China is atheism, especially with the government. So you can only have one child because of population control. So these billionaires and trillionaires, they've taken upon themselves to be the stewards of Earth. So what do you do? Well, we got to stop the, the, the growth of population. So euthanasia, kill the old people who are sick, kill babies. All of these are part of the fundamental worldview that they have. They're a bunch of Thanoses. This is Hollywood's belief. Did you notice in all the Thanos' movies that he has a solution to the problem and all the heroes, they have no solution to the problem? They just think it's wrong, so they must stop him from killing half the universe's population. He's more brilliant than all of them. And so you start sympathizing with the bad guy. You really do. You're sympathizing with the bad guy. And, and, and you see this confusion in the world. There's no absolute truth. Modern art. You guys ever heard of Jackson Pollock? He was an abstract artist. He literally took paint and flung it on a canvas. 
He did this stuff with his feet, with his hands, rubbing it with his toes, the weirdest stuff. You have no idea what it is. One of his paintings sold for $300 million. It's billions and billions and billions of shillings. It's, really, it's ridiculous. Or modern psychology, like a psychosis. You guys ever heard of Roark uh, paintings? Roarks are those ink splotches on a, on a little cardboard thing, and they have a bunch of them. You, you don't know what they are, but in order for the psychiatrist to kind of know where you are, he'll show you, and you say, what do you see? It's like us looking up in clouds as kids. You see a rabbit. Some of us see a, you know, a dolphin, or some of us see a, 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 a steak. It's whatever we want to see we see in the clouds, basically, right? It's confusing. It's subjective. You guys heard about the, the psychiatrist who was trying to diagnose one of his client's issues. He showed him the Roark ink blotches. You guys know what I'm talking about? The ink blotches? You can't identify what they are. So he says, what do you see here? He says, I see a woman taking a shower. Like, okay, he put down his... Uh, he said, what do you see here? He says, I see a woman in a bikini on the beach, sunbathing. And he says, I, I think I know the problem here. <laughs> he said, you, you have a lust issue. He goes, well, you're the one drawing all the dirty pictures. It's confusing. There's no base. There's no truth. That's not how the Bible operates. When God speaks to Jeremiah concerning the Edomites, it's the same thing he speaks to Obadiah concerning the Edomites. This is not just a subjective supernatural book that's some mystical thing that we got to discover each on our own. We can collectively and objectively see that this book is absolutely supernatural in just its prophecies. You can go down the list. It's supernatural in its historical accuracy in its prophetic accuracy, in its archaeological accuracy. It's brilliant. You can't get anybody else to write a book like this except God. Joseph Smith, old Joey boy, who started Mormonism. Moronism, more like it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just, I was smoking some bangy before service today, so I'm, I'm laughing about that my wife just told me to she gave me the look tell him you're joking I, I don't do that no more this guy wrote about wars that happened in North America that never happened archaeologists went to the to the geographical area that Joseph Smith said happened and there is no remnants or evidence whatsoever proving that these wars happened he just made it up. He made, he made the whole thing up. There's no historical accuracy to the Book of Mormon, no geographical accuracy to the Book of Mormon. It's ridiculous. Obviously no theological accuracy to the Book of Mormon. That's not so with the Bible. We just discovered, in just a few short years ago, within 10 to 15 years, I believe, I may be wrong, but... Definitely know it's within the last 50 years that one of the ways that critics of the Bible were trying to say 
that the Bible's not accurate is Pilate as the governor of Jerusalem at the time, the governor of that region. They said such a prominent person would be written down in other historical books. But this person never existed, they say. It proves the Bible is wrong. The Bible, I mean, we're not talking a couple dozen times. We're talking about hundreds of times. It continues to prove itself completely and utterly and 100% accurate in all aspects, historical, geographical, everything. They started, they, they, they dug up some, some ruins because you got to understand Jerusalem, it's a very high, much higher city than it used to be. The, Pers- the Egyptians, <laughs> the, or the Persians come in destroyed through the judgment of God. All the ruins were built on the next city. Babylonians come in, destroy, build another city, build another city. And so you can dig really deep in that area and continue to find ruins. We haven't even come close to finding all the ruins um, in, in, in the nation of Israel. And just within a, for- a few short years ago, because we've built on the city since Rome destroyed um, the, the nation of Israel in 70 AD, they found a whole, they found Pilate's house. Found his house. And there is hundreds of pages written on why the Bible's wrong because Pilate didn't exist. And they found his, where his house was. They even found enough literature about Pilate in the ruins to say that Caesar put in order to wipe Pilate's name and his family's name from the record so that no one would ever remember him again. And that's why we haven't discovered up until now that this person existed exactly how the Bible said he existed. It continues to prove itself over and over and over again. You know, in the Red Sea, we found ancient ruins of a whole Egyptian army that drowned in the Red Sea. So he speaks to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 49. He speaks to Obadiah here in the book of Obadiah. And it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. Let me just a little further talk to you about how supernatural this book is. We're reading, most of us, in English, our Bibles this afternoon. This Bible has been translated into many different languages. It was originally written in the Old Testament in Hebrew and the New Testament Greek and Latin. And we we have even very ancient manuscripts like the Dead Sea Scrolls and even just a a 100 to 200 years after the original writing, we, we have. And so we can compare. But even more than that, you can get this if you read Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter or you can read many different uh, scholars on this issue. It's truly amazing. And I've shared this with more than 50 Muslims. They look at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. And most people can't track along with what... Try to follow me on this. I'm going to try to articulate it so we can be amazed. So you take the original and you get scribes to start translating it into more copies, whether they be in Greek, Hebrew, Latin, or in other languages, like the Latin Vulgate Bible, or the Germanian Bible, um, ancient German, or English, 
or whatever it is. Well, through all of our translations and along with all ancient copies, we have more than 27,000 different manuscripts. It was 25,000 up till a few years ago, but we started finding the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and more. We have over 27,000 manuscripts of, of the New Testament alone. It's the most manuscripts of any book in the history of the world, we have 27,000. I'm not talking about translated. I'm talking about the original copies of the first translations. The original copies of the first translations. And to this translation, and this, and, and, and all these kinds of different things. All the way up to what we have now. In our modern, 27,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. So you gotta think. Okay, all of these people who copied all of this over the course of several hundred years did not know each other. They didn't know each other. You guys ever played a telephone game in your youth group? It's ridiculous. We can't even get one story amongst eight people right. It's a totally different story when it gets back around. And yet you have thousands of manuscripts in dozens of different languages over time. And people have collected these in the last... 500 years and compared them to one another. They are 100% accurate in their meaning and they're over 98% accurate in its sentence structure and grammar, like periods and commas. That's the same look the Muslims gave me when I told them that. that that's very significant. That is completely supernatural. How could human beings be that accurate? They can't, unless there's a God overseeing the whole project. And Jesus said, not one jot or not one tittle of the word will be lost until all is fulfilled. This is, this is a supernatural book. So old Joey Morani cannot get it right, and he's only one person. Which, by the way, he was put to death for being a horse thief. You don't want to follow the number one prophet of your religion being put to death for stealing people's horses. You just don't, you don't want to follow a dead God anyways. Now, this is one of the most significant parts of it. You got 39 Old Testament books, you have 27 New Testament books. You have about 40 different authors, maybe 42 different authors, over a period of almost 2,000 years, written on three different continents. And when you read this Bible, there's no contradiction in its prophecies, no contradiction in its archaeological findings, no contradiction in its historical findings, and it was written by all those different people. And there have been people like, uh, yeah, well, the the Book of Mormon or the Quran does the same thing. There's not contradictions. There may not be contradictions within the book of theology or historical uh, 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 or archaeological things within the book itself. Obviously, it's a false book because there's no proof outside of the book of the archaeological findings or the historical findings. But within the book, professional like people, writers, they're like, it carries the same theme. And it does. The only difference between this is the Quran and the Book of Mormon was written by the same person, one person. Muhammad, the Quran, Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon. 
This was written by about 40 to 42 different people. The same theme, the same message. That alone should prove it's a supernatural book. That's amazing. The point is, guys, we are reading God's text message every time we open this thing. It is phenomenal. So Obadiah got the same prophecy that Jeremiah did. Obadiah probably got it before Jeremiah because most likely he came before Jeremiah. Obadiah could have been. There was an Obadiah. He was an officer in King Ahab's court of Israel. And he hid God's prophets in a cave because of wicked King Ahab in 1 Kings 18.3. There was an Obadiah sent out by King Jehoshaphat of Judea to teach the law in the cities of Judea in 2 Chronicles 17. And that's probably most likely who this Obadiah is. There was an Obadiah. He, over, he was an overseer who helped repair the temple in the days of Josiah, king of Judah, in 2 Chronicles 34, 12. And an Obadiah was a priest in the days of Nehemiah in Nehemiah 10, 5. This book is a bit unique among prophetic books because it does not deal with primarily with the nation of Israel or Judea. This deals with a different people group. There's uh, really no other book in the um, prophetic books that deals with a different people group other than the nation of Israel and Judah, other than Obadiah dealing with the Edomites. The Edomites are a people descended from Esau. You guys remember Esau is Jacob's brother. Esau was a mighty hunter. He was a... Uh, he, was a, he, he was a man's man. He was a, he was a tough, rugged guy, which because of this tough ruggedness, very hairy, way hairier than any of us, including me, people. Um, it was said he had hair over in his entire body. There's actually a, there's a, there's a medical condition that many people think that Esau had. And if you look up these people, Online, they, they don't need any clothes. There's, they got hair everywhere. Esau sold his birthright for a cup of porridge. It was probably, best translated as lentils, green grams, something like that. He, um, who would ever sell their birthright for green grams? I don't know. Do you guys like green grams that much? Anybody? Can I confess, I despise green grams with all of my heart. Um, my kids love it, I think. Right, Kelsey? They like it. And when it's made at the house, I want to say wife and to everyone, I'm thankful. So I'm off the hook there, but I don't like it. Esau sold his birthright. He was a man who was given in to the now, to the moment given in to his own desires, what would please him in that moment, which most men and women are around the world today. Give me what pleases me. And it's constantly promoted through tons of propaganda and all the different music and movies of the world, live for the now. Give in to what, uh, you know, 
that whole song, Die Young, it's like, tonight, the whole song's about having a party because we're going to die eventually. Party now. Party now, you know. You guys, did you not know what that song's about? You're probably Christians. Tonight. You should listen to the songs. They're filled with philosophical uh, assumptions and worldviews. Party now for tomorrow we die. That's exactly how Esau was. It's exactly how Esau was. We need to have eternity stamped in our eyeballs, just like Leonard Ravenhill said. We need to live for the glory of God who's eternal, knowing that we have a final destination. It's not about the here and now. And that's, a, that's good news because most of our lives suck in many ways. I mean, we're blessed. But life is a struggle at times, is it not? A friendship goes bad. A, 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 a romantic relationship that was hoped to end in marriage goes bad. Struggling to pay rent, to get the food, to, to do this. I mean, the water situation alone in Eldred is enough to make us go crazy. You guys have water issues? Anybody? Sometimes our water will go out for days at our house. We're, you know, we're here like a bunch of vagabonds at the church trying to take showers. We don't live for the here and now. We live for a future and a hope in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's not how Esau is. Esau eventually settled in the area of Mount Seir and he absorbed, absorbed a people known, he, he, he began to rule a people known as the Horites. No doubt where Bathsheba descended from. <laughs> you got the joke, a couple of you, thank you. And no doubt members of the Lawrence family as well. <laughs> when Israel came out of Egypt and wanted to pass through the land of the Edomites to enter into the promised land, you remember? The Edomites would not let them pass. God judged them for that. They're in big trouble with God. Numbers 20, 14 through 21. Edom joined with Moab and Amnon to attack Judah, but the Lord fought for Judah and defeated them in 2 Chronicles 21 through 27. Do you guys remember this famous battle? The famous battle for Judah was led with praise. They were praising God as they were going into battle. It's a great teaching that needs to be realized in our life. Guys, when we go out every day, every morning in our lives with praise, we go out in victory. For when we're praising God, we're victorious. So let me read. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, 
You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how will you be cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? And grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. It's like saying the Edomites. Esau, Edomites. How his hidden treasures shall be sound or sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Though or those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you, no one is aware of it. So in other words, those who are your allies, they will deceive you. They will come against you. Your allies will come against you. Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Timnan, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Guys, this is the Lord talking some smack. It's really cool. If you guys ever... When I was growing up, I wasn't like, I was very violent and I fought a lot, but I wasn't a bully. I didn't fight people who like didn't want to fight. I, I would always get so angry at people who treated people badly. Like these guys at parties who were like the meatheads. They, they worked out a lot and they thought they were really tough. It, it bugs me. Pride always bugged me. Now, I'm not saying I'm not prideful, but that kind of pride, pushing people down because you're strong, it, 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 it's always angered me. But I'm nothing like God. I have beaten people up and I've gotten beat up in all these fights. God never gets beat up. He's like, you guys are in trouble now. I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to kill you and you're, you're the, whole, the whole Edomite people. You're going down. That's so scary. That's so terrifying. You, I would not want to be these people. So because I'm about out of time, we'll stop there. We'll finish Obadiah next week. But, but there's, there's two things here that we need to look at. Two things. And if you want to know I'm going to sign, Obadiah was a contemporary of Elijah. He was probably one of the first prophets of the Old Testament. Number one, the pride of the Edomites deceived them. It deceived them. Pride makes us believe things about ourselves that are not true. Let me repeat that because that is almost the essential essence of pride. Pride makes us believe things about ourselves that aren't true. I, I kind of want to use family members as an example, but one of them's here, so I'll be tactful. But even myself, my brother Dave, well, you, you almost think you're invincible. I could never 
do this. I, I would never, I'll never lose this job, or I'd never lose this fight, or I'd never do this, and all of a sudden you lose everything. Pride makes us believe things about ourselves that aren't true. Have you guys ever believed something about yourself and even made a statement, I would never, and actually did it? That's pride. Have you ever been so, thinking you're so right about something and been boisterous and actually right in the moment found out you were wrong? How do you even handle that situation? I remember I heard a lot about Kenyan police um, soliciting bribes from people on the road. Heard it all the time. Missionaries, they talk about it all the time. Even Kenyans are like, yeah, these police, they talk about the corruption all the time. So I was determined. I was like a first-year missionary. First time I got pulled over, I'm ready. I had eight people in the car from America with me. I was driving from Nairobi. This was in 2011. Pull me over. It's like you were speeding. It's like, I don't think I was, but okay. Where's your proof? I'm getting lippy with the police. I said, all right, it's a 5,000 shilling fine. Busted! I'm not kidding you. I said that. You are soliciting a bribe. I'm turning you into the anti-corruption agency. So, no, sir, we're not soliciting a bribe. Get out of the car, please. Oh, now you're getting me out of the car. I, you guys are in so much trouble. Call in my lawyer. I called my lawyer. It's one of the first things I did when I came to Kenya. I got a lawyer. It's like, hey, these police asking for a bribe. They're right here. You want to talk to them? They want 5,000 shillings. He goes, no, you actually have to pay a 5,000 shilling bond. They give you a receipt. You have to show up to court uh, when you, uh, the next day or when you agree. I'm like, hmm? <laughs> Say again? Yeah, you don't need to talk to him. He's, he's good. Okay. <laughs> it was like, it was such a humiliating moment for me. I was so boisterous. I thought I knew something that was true. Oh, gosh, you have enough moments of those. You, start, you stop thinking you know everything about stuff. It's like, hey, uh, funny thing is, is uh, you're right, and I'd like to apologize for my behavior. I, that's exactly what I did. Were you in the car, Kelsey? Do you remember that? So ridiculous. Pride makes us believe things about ourselves that aren't true. We are a very weak people. Our minds are weak. I was at a conference recent, in this last summer. It was our international pastors conference. And, and we had these, you know, some, a lot of the older guys teaching. Amazing conference. Don McClure gave the best teaching I've ever heard him give. He was talking about aging. When you're young, man, you think you're invincible. You just, ah, you're strong. Your mind works better when you're younger. Start memorizing things now, guys, because you're going to lose it when you're 80. And he was talking about this. It was a very sweet moment. He said, Chuck Smith's IQ was off the charts. He was a genius. He was a brilliant guy. He said that there was no one in the Calvary movement that had a better memory than Chuck. Chuck memorized entire books of the Bible and quoted it. In the early days, they were having conferences. There were about 300 pastors, 200 pastors. They were smaller conferences, the international conference. Nowadays, it's a couple thousand pastors. 
he said that Chuck knew every single person's name even if there was 300 people in the room at the conferences. Do you know how impressive that is? It's amazing, guys. It makes me actually feel convicted because I don't think I know all of your names here tonight. I'm sorry. He said when Chuck was, when he was aging, when he was getting older, he looked over at Don McClure. He was an old man and he had a tear roll down his cheek and he said, Don, I don't remember any of their names anymore. It's sad, isn't it? The fallen world what happens to us as human beings because of sin. We are a very weak people. Don't be deceived into believing something about yourself that's not true. That's the very central part of pride. Satan believed he should be higher than God. But he's not worthy, and he wasn't worthy even before the fall. Only God is. We learned some stuff about pride. Leviticus 26, 19, the word pride in the Hebrew is gaon, or gahon would be a way of pronouncing it. It means to be arrogant, or one of the meanings, one of the words that is synonymously used for that Hebrew word gahon in the, the pride in Leviticus is swelling. Somebody who's swollen is, is the definition of pride in Leviticus. Somebody who's swollen. And interestingly enough, the Greek word for pride is tofu. And it's not the food. Tofu. And it means, uh, uh, there was a lot of words in there, but it means to be arrogant, conceited, um, think high of yourself. But another word um, in the Greek, it means to be inflated. So swollen and inflated. You guys, you watch some of, these, some of these guys walk around. Do you ever see them? Especially if they've been lifting some weights. It's like their whole demeanor changes. It's the weirdest thing. And, and, and you're like, hey, why are you walking that way? It's like, you know, it's, I'm stiff. No, you're walking that way because you're a moron. You're prideful. It's almost like they push everything out that they want people to see. It's like the chest is out. You know where the weight room is around here? Is there a weight room on this campus? They're swollen, inflated. I know there are bigger guys and they walk differently, but... The, the, the word swollen, inflated is also linked here in the biblical language with somebody who has an illness. Um, you guys remember John Fleming, some of you. He's come and visited us. He's a pastor at our church in, uh, in Bangor. One morning he woke up and his entire body was completely swollen. He, it, it looked so awkward, like the Martin Short movie that we saw growing up, David, uh, uh, pure luck. It looked so awkward that they were immediately like thought he was dying and they rushed him to the hospital. He, he looked like he put on a fat suit. He was swollen. He had some medical problem. And they had to, they had to treat him at the hospital in order to help him. 
um, people who have severe allergies to bee stings or wasp stings, they'll get very swollen and they have a medical problem, they have an illness. Or you guys, you know, when you get hit really hard or something, what often happens when we're bruising and stuff, it swells up. That's kind of the language that is used for pride in the Bible. People who are swollen and inflated have a medical condition that is causing harm to their bodies. And when we have a wrong view about our abilities and who we are, something we believe about ourselves is not true, we have a spiritual medical condition that is harmful to our lives and bodies. It's destroying us. It's hurting us. It's damaging us. We need, do you know what the antithesis of that, the, the opposite of that is? Humility. Do you know what humility means? If pride means believing something about ourselves is not true, humility actually means believing things about ourselves that are true. Or another way of seeing it, because God sees everything exactly how it is, humility is seeing ourselves the way God sees us. That's what humility is. I get so angry with prideful people. Now, I have pride, don't get me wrong. But those people who are boisterous and loud. I heard about this TMT owner. He, he's been arrested three times for yelling at the cops. And he's around slapping his employees at work. When somebody told me that, it was yesterday, some of the guys told me that he, he's been seen slapping his employees. You know what I thought, David, immediately? And my brother knows me really well. I thought, I'd just like to be locked in a room with him for about two minutes. That's all it would take. We'll see how tough he is when he's locked in a room with a Wolverine for two minutes. Makes me angry to know that that jerk, what's he think he's better than those employees because he has money? Because he's a lawyer? Because he can pay bribes at the police station to get himself off? He thinks he's better than us because of that? He does not see himself the way God sees him. He believes things about himself that are not true. It makes me angry. Well, you know who else that makes it angry? God. And these Edomites, we'll, talk, we'll finish next week. They believed two things about themselves. They, they could never be touched because they dwelt in the ancient city. They were the people who inhabited Petra. Petra was a high city up in the cliffs, up in the rocks, the mountains. Did you ever go there, Kels? Petra. And there's this one little way to get into Petra. It was very fortified. And they were saying, nobody can conquer us. Nobody can get us here. We are a strong people because of their, because of their living situation. Nobody can get us. And you know what God's saying to them? Oh, he said it right there, what we read. You think nobody can get to you? You're high as an eagle. You're in the clefts of the rocks. You have protection from the mountains. Did you think that I can't get to you? That's what God's saying to him. You, th you think you're the highest people in the world? I'm the highest person in the world, not you. And I will bring you down. And I'm going to bring you so far down that none of your children will remain. You will be a people wiped off the face of the earth. 
It's like, God, you are so strong. I mean, you, 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 you get angry. And that's, he's filled with mercies, don't get me wrong, but he's really upset with the Edomites. Why? Because of pride. The second reason they were proud, not just their living situation, but their confederacy of allies. The Emites boasted in verse 7, and their alliances entrusted in their allies. And God says to them, not only your allies not strong enough for me, it'll be your allies who turn on you. The ones who eat your bread will destroy you. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. That's what the allies to the Edomites believed. So the Edomites are here is like, we can't be touched because of our living condition, where we are located as a people, and because of all the powerful friends we have. I always think of that guy, and I want to meet that lady who was at the Kisumu airport, the, the, the attendant, the clerk of the airline, I think it was Kenya Airlines. It, it, he was a member of parliament. He didn't bring his ID so he couldn't get on the plane. He's like, do you know who I am? She's like, I don't care who you are. You need an ID to get on this plane. It's like, high five, lady. Good job. Don't, don't treat members of parliament better than you treat everybody else. Treat everyone with kindness and respect. He thought he was starting to call people on the phone. Do you guys remember this news story? Starting to call people on the phone. It's like, yeah, yeah, da, 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 da. He didn't get on the plane. He thought his friends could get him on the plane. He probably even had Kenyatta's phone numbers. Well, back then, I think it was um, the other guy. What God is saying is it doesn't matter where you live, and it doesn't matter who your friends are. You guys have done wrong. Your pride has lifted you up, and you have treated my people with disrespect. And we'll talk next week about how God feels about treating his people with disrespect. We'll talk about the three different kinds of love that God has for the world and for the people in it. And so guys, I, I'm five minutes over, let me stop, but let me tell you, if you learn anything tonight, let's learn from the Edomites that we should not be prideful, that is to believe things about ourselves that aren't true. And secondly, that we, we should be humble, we should see ourselves the way God sees us. We should believe things about ourselves that are true. We are a weak people in need of God. There's no reasons for us to be cruel or mean to anyone. Let's not be prideful. Lord, we thank you for this night. And we thank you that we have an example. And I'm sure, Lord, you gave multiple opportunities to the Edomites to repent. And you demonstrated your grace to them and your, your mercy. But may we look at this as an example and to believe things about ourselves that are true, to be humble, to walk humbly with our God, and to walk humbly in the sight of men. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. We hope that you've been inspired and blessed. For more teachings and other resources, visit our website at ccelderet.org or call us at 0718-012-496. That is 0718-012-496. See you next time.